for those who are here um, this past weekend, either for Friday or Saturday, I know um, you can testify to the uh, just the wonderful things that God has done in us this past weekend. I'm really excited to introduce uh, my dear friend and brother, Pastor Dave Choi. Um, pastors out in the Church of the Beloved in Chicago. Um, there are a couple, they've just started there. Their church just exploded, not literally, but, but spiritually, figuratively, it exploded with people. And so they uh, started another service in a different part of, of Chicago where the gospel is deeply uh, needed. Um, he's here with Pastor Daniel Chung, who is a, a summertime intern with us, but is doing uh, just great work out there leading the ministry of worship. I'm here with another friend, Mikey. Mike, can you say hi? Now, Mikey was a youth group student of Pastor Dave many years ago and has recently come back to um, Pastor Dave's church and is um, just a faithful disciple of Christ, a testimony to the legacy that Pastor Dave has had. And when I, I think and dream and, and some of us get together, uh, we talk about one of the greatest joys in life is to be able to not only hang out with people that we love and know, uh, people that are in a similar situation, people who are uh, loving God faithfully, not just to eat together and, and play together and laugh together, which we've done, but I think our deepest joy for all of us as we get together is just to, to dream about um, the kingdom of God and to serve together and to love together. And of all the things, as we say, people do come and go in this life. Um, but I pray, especially for young people, that you would find at an early age people that will run the race with you, that will serve together, that will pray together um, in order that your lives might make a difference beyond the lives that you live and into eternity and that there would be echoes of your life in the lives of other people because you gave it for Jesus. And Pastor Dave is a dear brother of mine and one of these guys that we always dream about doing ministry together. And so we have to do it this way because we can't afford him here and he would never, I would never survive in Chicago because it's too cold. But in these contexts, every uh, couple of years we get together and we do things like this in order that the kingdom might go forth and we might be renewed in our love for Jesus and our love for the kingdom and for the church together. So let's welcome Pastor Dave as he comes to preach to us. Um, actor. He's, he's 
thousands of masses, some of them very famous masses, um, just because they had that title doesn't mean they were Christians. So pray for him, thank him, encourage him. And I always tell people, take, take him out to dinner. Right? Um, obviously, my church doesn't do a good job of that. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not so sure about your church. I mean, the guy's skinny, you know what I'm saying? Well, I know that a lot of you guys were not here, so I'd like to just do a, a little bit of a brief um, of the specifics there, because today we're going to be more practical, right? Because I know, I'm sure a lot of you guys are like, okay, so how do I pay into this church? Let me just jump real close. Is that better? Um, how do I stay in this belovedness? And so um, I understand that, is there a way to... Um, so I know a lot of us um, probably are asking the question, okay, now that I've tasted this belovedness of Christ, how do I remain in that? So that's really the question we want to ask today. But before we go there, I just wanted to do a little bit of review because a lot of people were not here. So uh, basically I was just um, talking about this quote from uh, Demi Moore uh, about uh, just uh, after her third divorce about this fear that she had um, that she would find out that there was something fundamentally wrong with her, that, there was, that she was not worthy of being loved. And so from that statement, I extracted a formula that I think all of us in this uh, church, in this world, we believe. We're taught it from uh, even when you're a little baby, even if you're conscious of the formula. But the formula really goes something like this. Number one, is there or there is something fundamentally wrong with us? That there's something in all of us that wonders because we see the depth of our own brokenness. Uh, we're able to hide it in public sometimes, but at home it, it comes out, or in a relationship, or in a marriage, it comes out all the time. You're not able to hide your uh, sinfulness, your selfishness. And so is there something fundamentally wrong? And as you get older, I think you become more and more convinced that there is something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my heart. Uh, number two, therefore, I'm not worthy to be loved. And, and number three, therefore, I will not be loved. And I think that's really important. And I can think of example after example. I mean, one of the, the great um, kind of stories in my life was my older brother. He was um, He's an incredibly successful businessman in New York, Wall Street guy, MIT grad, uh, brilliant guy, successful at everything he did. And um, walked away from the Lord because everything was good. Fifteen years he walked away from the Lord and uh, just, just living the high life in New York. And I uh, got married. And uh, one Christmas, I remember we were sharing as a family. And our family had been praying for his salvation for years. And I remember one Christmas in the hotel room, and he, he just kind of shared with us uh, that he, he believed in Jesus again. That goes back I mean, his heart was just too selfish. He, he loved her on one hand, but, but on the other hand, he didn't always treat her the way that he wanted to treat her. Sometimes he would get angry at her. Sometimes he would lose his temper. And, and, and he could never, ever love her the way he had wanted to and the way that he had covenanted to. And, and that's what ultimately broke him. That's what ultimately, he, he realized there was something fundamentally wrong. It's called sin. And, and he, he had no power. He had power to be a great businessman. He had a power to, to get people to like him. He had power to get people to you know, work underneath him. But he, he just could not love that one person that, that more than anyone else in this world he wanted to love well. And, and so he needed the, the, the gospel formula just as much as, as we need it. I was thinking again about, uh, for those of you guys who are in that kind of dating stage, I was thinking about some people in my life who, 
um, I feel like they're just going from relationship to relationship to relationship to rela- Do you know these people? It's, maybe it's you. It's just people who just, and I was thinking about just what, what's going on underneath all of that. You know, because some people will judge them. Oh, they always got a boyfriend. They always got a girlfriend. But underneath that, I think, is this longing that I talked about on Friday night that, that we don't want to just be known. We don't want to just be loved, but we want to be known and loved. But the problem is, is that a lot of us, because of shameful things that have happened, perhaps when we were little kids or because of rejection that we experienced, or maybe because of a couple of relations that didn't work out. What happens is you begin to internalize this message that if anybody really got to know you, they would never love you. They would leave you. And a lot of us have that message. And so these people go into relationships, I mean, some of them are very attractive people. But what happens is they, they date somebody and then they start to like them. And, and the very thing that they want, which is to be known and loved, is the very thing that scares them to death. Why? Why does it scare them to death? Because they're afraid that the same thing will happen again. They will be known and then they will be left. So it's, it's this kind of struggle for them because at one hand, they want desperately to be known and loved. But on the other hand, they're so afraid of being known and then rejected. And that fear actually is, is greater than that desire sometimes. And so they, they start to get into a relationship. And as soon as they sense anything that this, this guy may leave her, or they sense that they're, they're, they're losing their self-control and their, their walls are starting to come down, then boom, they hop to the next relationship. They leave it. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they're broken. It's because they've been devastated by the formula of this world. This formula that drives all of us because we've been taught our whole lives, hey, if you earn it, if you're good enough, if you're smart enough, then you will be loved. But if you're not, or or if you earn love for a while, you could at any point lose it. It's so conditional. And the gospel formula comes in and says the exact same thing. It says there is something fundamentally wrong with you. It's called sin. And you're not worthy of being loved. You're actually worthy of being punished and condemned for all of eternity. But the beauty of the gospel formula is that that third step is totally different. It says that Christ lived, died, and rose again. So that now, through Christ, you are now the beloved of God because of Christ alone. Even though number one and number two are true of you. You get that? Yes, there's something wrong with you. Yes, you don't deserve love. And yet, through Christ, you become the object of His delight and affection for all of eternity. He, God loves you as He loves His own Son, Jesus. This is one of the greatest... I, I've talked to a pastor, I talked to a pastor recently who said to me, Dave, it's so hard to believe. Even, even he and his wife, he, he went to uh, Christian school, he went to a seminary, he studied theology, he got his master of divinity. I mean, a brilliant guy. And he and his wife, when, when approached with this gospel message that he is as loved as Christ is loved by God. That's what we've been talking about this week. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. That's just, it's, it's, it's too, too good to be true. And this pastor and his wife, just this week, I think, either this week or last week, he was talking to me, he said, even me and my wife, we had to sit down and say, is this really true? And I'm sure some of you guys are like, is, are, you, are you sure, Dave? As much as Christ, I mean, he was perfect. He never messed up. Look at me. Look at the darkness of my own soul. Look how I fail every day, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is that not you? I I love that hymn because that's me. I'm not prone to be holy. I'm not prone to love Jesus. I'm prone to walk away from God and reject his love. 
And yet because of the cross, I stand before him as righteous as Christ. It's just, it's just, it's why so good. It's like I told you about that Thai student. It's too good to be true. And you and I should be saying that if we understand the gospel. And so the last two nights, I hope that you've been bathing yourself in this gospel formula and that I hope that the healing is beginning to soak into your soul. It's going to take a lifetime. This is what sanctification and maturity in Christ is going to look like, is that you're going to more and more increase in your belief that you are the beloved of God, that your belovedness is no longer tied to your performance, but it's tied solely to the perfect performance and obedience of Jesus Christ. And so the two questions that I asked Friday night and Saturday night was this. Number one, how does the gospel bring healing the devastating effects of this world's formula? And that's the question if you're in a house church that you guys are going to start to explore. The second question is, how much does God love Jesus? Because if we understand how much God loves Jesus, that reveals how much Jesus loves us. And so you remember last night, that story of Christ getting baptized and the father just tearing open the heavens like a father who loves his kid would and saying, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. And that's the same voice now that if you're in Christ, God says over you today, undeservedly, Christ earned it for you. So that today, his, his disposition towards you is favor and delight. Amen? And, and the joy that I, I just, if you see a dad who's happy about his daughter, and that dad you know is sinful and selfish, why can you not believe that God would do the same, and even at a deeper level for you? I mean, I've, seen, I've heard of fathers and mothers who, they, their kids playing in like a mud or in sand, and they're getting dirty, and they're just smiling. And why is it so hard for you to believe that God could do the same for you? Especially in light of the cross and what he suffered on your behalf. Amen. So this is really what the gospel is about. And, and, and I think for me, when I was growing up in the church, the gospel for me was that Christ died so that my sins would be forgiven so that I could avoid hell. Which is good news. Trust me, it's good news that I don't have to go to hell. But, but there was no positive side. It was just I was escaping something. But what was I saved to? I was saved to Christ's righteousness, but not just his righteousness. I was saved to his love. When they were in the garden, their intimacy with God was completely, it was, it was totally intimate. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in love with somebody, but is there a greater joy than that? Is there a greater joy than a, a couple who's been married for 40 years they just know each other. They know every flaw and they look at each other with love. Is there something greater than that in this world? I don't think so. And, and that's the goal of the gospel is that the intimacy that was lost in the garden because of sin is going to be restored. And ultimately, on that final day when Christ returns, there's going to be so much joy when you see the love that God has for you and the intimacy that is fully restored that you literally going to feel like you're going to die. Have you ever been so happy you felt you could die? That's heaven every moment of heaven. It's so happy that you feel like you're going to die every moment because he's so joyful and so loving over you. All right? So this is the gospel, and this is what we've been talking about for this last two days, all right? And so for us, you know, uh, the question is, um, how do we remain in this love, all right? How do we remain in this love? But even before we ask that question, uh, there's a precinct question, I think, is, is, but why would we not remain in this love? You know what I'm saying? 
Like, why do I just sit here and fly down from Chicago and plead with you, remain in his love? You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's like a couple that's just like madly in love with each other. And the girl's just like, this is the hottest, holiest, humblest, humorous. All right, I got a lot of H's, all right? Guy, like ever, okay? He, he's hotter than Brad Pitt, all right? He's more humorous than even Pastor DL, all right? He, 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 he's humble. Ladies, if you met a dude like that and you fell in love with him, he was all that you thought he would be. And then another dude who's not as good looking walks by and says, how you doing, girl? Why in the world would you leave what you know is good and real and intimate and hot and, and go to the guy who's not even close to it? You understand? And people do that. I don't, I don't know if you guys heard down in Orlando about a guy named Jeremy Lin. Y'all remember him? All right. When we were playing basketball in the hood, right, me and Chung, okay? Back in the day when I played ball with the brothers, they called me like Yao Ming, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, because that was all they knew. But they were calling Chung Jeremy Lin the whole time, all right? He don't play like him. He don't shoot as good as him. He's just Asian like him. That's the only reason, all right? But you remember back in the day, he was in Florida uh, at a Miami Heat game. And, and, and I don't know if you heard this story, but the chaplain was going around asking if there's any prayer requests for all the NBA players who were at the chapel. And Jeremy Lin said, could you pray for me that I won't get waived because I have a 15-day contract right now? You remember he was signed by the Golden State Warriors. Then, then they, they waived him. and he, he went to the Houston Rockets. They waived him. Then he went to the New York Knicks. And, and, and so... Would you rather, if you're Jeremy Lin, and I said to Jeremy, I said, Jeremy, um, you got two choices, all right? You can either, for the rest of your NBA career, be on a 15-day contract where you just never know if you're going to be waived at the end of those 15 days. You have to earn, you know, the approval of that team every time. And you never have a long-term contract. Or you can get a three-year, $26 million contract with the Houston Rockets, all right? And you can play with James Harden. Which one would you rather have? What, what, what would, you're like, what, are you crazy? You crazy? Of course I would pick the 15 day. If, if that's crazy that I think that that would be the appropriate, then, then don't you think it's crazy that you don't go to the gospel every day? You have an eternal contract. It's not three years. It's not five years. It's an eternal contract. There's no renegotiations. And you choose the 15 day contracts of your friends over and over again over Christ. I can't get my people to spend an hour with Jesus. I ain't getting to spend an hour with other people. Our church loves to hang out. And they hang out with people all the time. And the same people, when I say, hey, let's go do the Bible this year. Oh, I'm too busy. These are the same people kicking it with people all night, every night on the weekends. But I'm too busy for the secure, eternal contract of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, it's because there's a formula in us that's tattooed to our souls that says, hey, earn it. It's like a drug. It's an unhealthy drug. If you've ever talked to drug addicts, most drug addicts that I talk to, it's not like they're thinking, I wish I was addicted to heroin. I love the fact that I'm addicted to this and I can't kick this habit. I, I sat with a guy at around 4 a.m. who called me over to his house and his eyes were glazed over and he, he, was, he was like one of those gangster guys, you know what I'm saying? And he, he, he was tough. He was, 
And he looked like he was about to cry. He looked so empty. He said, Pastor Dave, I can't kick it. I can't. I'm trying to, I'm trying to quit on heroin, but I can't. And I looked at him with so much compassion because he, didn't, he couldn't leave this thing that was killing him. And there's so many people in the church, it doesn't matter if you serve. In fact, people who serve are often the ones who are drinking in the world formula the most. Pastors sometimes and missionaries are some of the most insecure and unhealthy people. Why? Because they're drinking the world formula, but they're using spiritual garb to hide it. And they're not resting in this gospel that is eternal. And so they're constantly trying this new drug. Approval. Get people to like me. Get people to speak well of me. Get people to think that I'm a good person. Then I'll feel like I'm valuable. But you got to maintain that for the rest of your life. And then when you get married and you find out that your husband or wife realize the truth about you, that you're like the emperor with no clothes, you get mad at them. And sometimes you even divorce them. Not them, it's you. You're drinking in from an idol that was never supposed to satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So again, this, the, the, the gospel message and, and the formula of this world are so antithetical, but, but we, we kind of say, oh, it's, it's the same. It's not. And we got preachers who, who don't clarify that. And so we think, hey, if I try to be more patient, if I try to be uh, righteous, if I try to not lie, and, and all these things, which are good things, those are moral things. God wants us to be moral. But underneath that, instead of getting to the root and the foundation, we do those very same things so that we can earn approval in church just like we did in school and in work and in our home. Constantly trying to earn approval because we forget we are justified in Christ alone. We are the beloved of God. We don't have to earn it ever again. You're just loved right now, maximally. And you will never be more loved than you are at this moment. Amen. Christ earned it all at the cross. So practically speaking, how do we remain in this love? All right? And this is all under the assumption that we are saved by grace, by trusting in Christ alone, as our Savior, okay? So if you're not born again, today could be that day where you come to believe that Christ is your only Savior, all right? If you look at the context of John 15, all right, it's a very well-known parable about the, the vine and the branches. And so obedience in this immediate context is a synonym, synonym really for the fruitfulness that Christ talks about. That's the image that Jesus wants to give us is this idea of a vine that's just, just bursting, all right, with fruit, Okay? Now, 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 the thing about this passage is it's not an external obedience, all right? Because like I just said to you, you can do godly things for the wrong reasons, right? And if you don't know what that means, think about your own life, all right? Uh, I just shared again, uh, I think last week at my church, about uh, a, a, a kind of a hypothetical situation that's really true. But, but a, a husband who's, who's trying to serve his wife, and so he cooks this amazing breakfast for her early in the morning, wakes up at 4 a.m. even though he's a night guy and, 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 and flies around the nation to get the best local ingredients and brings it to her. And, and, and he, what does he expect her to say? So amazing. You're so hot, you make Brad Pitt look like Gollum, you know? <laughs> but, but when you love somebody like that and you serve them, right? And then they don't appreciate it. What happens to you? You who are just so sweet and thoughtful. You've done something for your wife or husband. And then they just like, shh. 
this orange juice is too much pulp. <laughs> you went to the wrong grove in Orlando again, didn't you? I mean, you don't talk about when you try to do something to serve someone and then they don't appreciate what, what happens to you? It's so angry, don't you? I did that for you. Then why are you so angry? And it exposes the fact that you were serving her because you wanted her to say you were good. And we do that all the time. We do that all the time. I do that all the time in ministry when my people don't say, hey, that was a good sermon. I prepared 20 hours and I feel hurt because I'm using them to validate me because I'm not going to the gospel where I have the true and, and, and lavish and unconditional love through Christ. So, so he's not talking about external obedience. He's talking about an internal reality, a, a heart of gratitude that's genuine because of the gospel. And, and, and I think for us to really understand what Christ is talking about, this fruitfulness, we have to really understand that all of us are prone to, especially in the church, external obedience and external fruitfulness. All right? The image I think about is this time I was living in this house with a couple of guys and um, I don't know how this happens in Illinois because it's a really cold place, but somehow he had a peach tree in the back of his, in his yard, okay? I, I don't know how, all right? No idea, all right? It's freezing there, all right? So one day I was like, I'm going to eat a peach. I mean, it's organic, you know what I'm saying? No pesticides, right? So, you know, you just went to the back and I just picked a peach. It was, it was one of the bigger peaches. It looked fresh. It looked nice. And so I started washing it because I was excited to eat my first organic peach in Chicago. And so I started to... to wash it up and as i was washing it literally this huge centipede came out of the core and i literally screamed all right like a man you know what i'm saying i was like oh no i was not screaming i screamed like a woman because no man screams like a man you don't notice that no man's like you know what i mean i was like ah all right and, and, Chung was in the house, and I was like, oh, my gosh, who was that girl who just ran by? All right, so, no. But anyway, so, but that's what external obedience is like. That's why God in the Old Testament through the prophets said, I despise your religious assemblies. Because a lot of us, this is, this is what's going to be sad on that final day. I think a lot of us will come before God, and, and, and you'll think you're going to heaven, but you won't. Because you never trusted him as savior. You just saw him as an example. And you just wanted to be good so people would like you. I wonder how many times I've preached the gospel in churches. And, and people knew that they weren't saved, but they were a leader in the church. And so they just, had, they just wanted the approval of people and they didn't come forward to receive Christ. Or, or, or that they were a Christian, but they were just so afraid that they would come forward and confess the reality of what's going on in their marriage or in their, in their struggles with pornography, that they just, they just lived a, a life that never had the joy that Jesus intended for them. And they never led one person to Christ. They never had a fruitfulness in their life. They never had joy. And it's because they just cared what people thought instead of what God thought. So what kind of fruitfulness and obedience is Jesus talking about here uh, if we remain in the vine? If Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, then the fruit of that branch is determined by what? What is it determined by? It's determined by whatever the vine is, correct? 
if it's an orange tree, what should be bearing on that branch? An orange. In fact, you can tell what kind of tree it is by the branch. If it's an apple tree, it's going to bear what? It's not a hard question. Come on, y'all. If it's a kimchi tree, what? Say it. Kimchi. Come on, y'all. It's easy. It's easy. All right? So, so, so in other words, it, you know what the branch is connected to by the fruit. And, and you should be able to tell who you're connected to by your fruit. So what is the fruit of Christ? Well, it's easy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so my question to you, are you abounding in that? Is there just bam, just every springtime, just, just boom, just love. Woo! When they think of you, there's just joy and peace. That's what happens naturally. You don't have to do much. Just stay connected to the tree. And you will bear that kind of fruit. So as I look at this passage in this section, this, there's, there's many things, but really four things that I see in this section that, that give us clues of how the branch can remain in that vine, all right? I don't know if how much time I have to go through all this, but number one is we remember it's not about us first, but it's about Christ, okay? Number two, it takes pruning for you to be fruitful, all right? It takes pruning. If you want to remain in Him, you've got to be ready for pruning. Number three, you have to be people of God's Word, all right? You have to be people of God's Word, uh, chapter 15, verse 10. And then lastly, we must be a people of prayer, all right? We must be a people of prayer. That's what this section is, okay? I don't have time to go through every detail of it, but this, this, this whole section from 15, 1 through uh, the, the rest of the chapter, it's all about this idea of fruitfulness of those who remain in the vine. Number one, we remember it's not about us first, but it's about Christ, okay? Remember this, okay? When I, when I preach on this, I tell people, one of the great things you can remember for the rest of your life is you are just a branch. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're just a branch. Now turn to your other neighbor and say it a little bit more passionately. Say, neighbor, you are just a branch. The Bible makes it clear that, that, that each of us has a part in this fruitfulness. God the Father, in the first couple of verses, is the gardener. Christ is the vine, and you and I are branches, okay? And if you don't forget these three roles, fruitfulness will abound in your life. Right? Imagine for a moment that a branch is walking around with swagger, all right? And the branch looks at its own orange and says, that orange is unbelievable. Looks at the other branches, sees smaller oranges and says, shoot, I am the branch. All right. He's walking around talking smack to the other branches. Y'all see my orange, biggest orange on the block. Okay. Uh, I'm the branch. Other branches, they forget that it's about the vine. So they start listening to what he says. It says, you, you, you are, you, you the branch. All right. And, and so they're walking around thinking it's about them. Okay, but you cut that tree off, right? You cut that branch off from that tree, and I don't care how strong that branch is, how much swagger that branch has, all right, that branch is going to what? Die, and that orange is going to die because it's not connected to the vine, right? We've got a bunch of Christians who do the same thing in our lives. We think it's about us. Think about it. How many times have you put pressure on yourself when you messed up? How many times when you don't love somebody, you're like, oh, I got to try harder. When you're impatient with somebody, you say, I'm going to try harder next time. 
When you fall into certain sins, you don't go to Christ with your dirtiness. You say, Lord, I'm going to try harder next time. I repent. And the pressure is on the branch rather than on the vine and on the gardener. But the beauty of the Christian life is it's not about you. It's about Christ. And the question you should be asking every morning that you wake up is not what's in it for me. It's not about you. The question you should be asking is how can I bring glory to Christ today? That question God loves to answer and fruitfulness will abound in your life both in terms of character and in terms of giftedness if your passion is for His glory and not your comfort. This is central to redemptive history. From Genesis to Revelation, the the main character of the Bible has never been you. I, I love it. When I was growing up as a kid, it was always Abraham, be like him. David, be like him, man after God's own heart. If I was a little kid and I took them literally, I would have had murdered a dude. I would have had committed adultery. I would have told everyone that my wife was my sister. All right? I would be in bad shape. So all these Sunday school teachers, be like them. No, don't be like them. But trust in the God that they trusted in. God got the glory, amen? I mean, think about Abraham, the father of the faith. Two times he's in another country. He's with his wife. She's hot. So he's like, yo, just tell him you're my sister. How many wives would be happy about that? <laughs> hey, when we go to the restaurant, just, just say you're my sister. Oh, this is my sister. How many wives would go home and say, oh, that was awesome? <laughs> You'd be sleeping on the couch for sure, right? And, and then later his wife's like, hey, it's not gonna, God's promise is not going to happen through me. Sleep with the maidservant. Abraham should be like, are you crazy? The promise of God is to us. But did he? Text doesn't say anything. He's like, okay. And then we sit there and we say, hey, Abraham, such an amazing man. I mean, I'm not going to doubt. He had faith, but that faith came from God. But ultimately, he failed multiple times. Amen. But did God fail? Never. So why in the world are you putting the pressure on yourself? It's not about you, church. It's not about you. It's about Christ. You are just a branch. Stop walking with all that swagger. You ain't got none. The only swagger you have comes from Jesus, amen? That you got to be connected to the greatest orange tree or apple tree in the universe, and he, it, it brings so much fruit into your life. You got connected to the love tree, the joy tree, and the peace tree. You know what I'm saying? So just stay connected to him. And remember, as soon as you think it's about you, you disconnect yourself from your Savior. Number two, it takes pruning for us to be fruitful. It takes pruning for us to be fruitful. Uh, the, 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 the thing about the gospel and, and, and the Bible is it turns everything that you think upside down, just like the formula. The formula that we're used to says, I, I, I earn love and it's the only way I'll be loved. But the gospel says you earn hate, but you get love. Doesn't make sense. You know what I'm saying? So then you hear these passages, like in James, where he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. All right? What do you expect to see next? When you get to go on vacation. When you get to eat a steak for free. When DL smiles at you. You're just like, He looked at me. I saw you, some of y'all, I saw these girls crying around Amp yesterday. I saw Chung and Albert gathering around Amp. 
They're staying at my house. I was like, you know. Consider it pure joy when Amp stays at your house. Okay? That's not what the Bible says. Consider it pure joy when you face what? Trials of many kinds. Yeah. Suffering. Woo! That's weird. You might, you might want to check that person mentally. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Anyone, anyone want to sign up for that one? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says when you feel pruned and disciplined, you should count it joy. Why? Not because it feels good, all right? That's weird. It doesn't feel good. It feels horrible to be pruned. But because you know that this is going to lead to holiness, this is going to lead to Christ-likeness, you know what the pruning ultimately is for? It's for point one. So that you, for, you never forget it's not about you, it's about Christ. You were pruned because you thought it was about you. And you forgot it was about Christ. When I was in ministry, in my earlier years, my first seven years of ministry, I started when I was like about 19 years old, I started preaching as a youth pastor. My first seven years of ministry, even though I was horrible at preaching, it was a very sweet season of ministry. Because I was like a year older than my youth group kids, you know what I'm saying? Some of them were five, so they're like my age, okay? Because you know, they take a year, you know what I'm saying? All right, so... So I literally, I would ask my kids to pick me up to bring me to church, all right? Because I didn't have my driver's license yet, all right? It was weird. I'm like, hey, this is your jendosa. Can you pick me up from the movies? Okay, so anyway, it was so good. And, and I thought of myself as a humble youth pastor, all right? Because I, I prayed with them. I hung out with them. I treated them out to meals all the time, even though I was poor. I mean, I was, I was I, everyone loved me. They thought I was the greatest youth pastor. I wasn't a great preacher, but they thought I was a great guy. I loved them. I hung out with them. I made them laugh. I was a good guy. I thought I was a humble youth pastor. And then around 26 years old, I went into a church, and, and, and I began to have this season. I call it kind of like, it's like Joseph. I had my seven years of just bountiful ministry, and then the seven years of lean years. And I fell apart. People started to criticize me. People started to gossip behind my back. Things I'd never experienced before. And I literally fell into depression. What was Jesus doing? He was pruning me. I thought I was a good pastor. But what had happened was, internally, even subconsciously, I began to think that it was me who was blessing these kids. And Jesus was ripping me apart. I mean, I literally thought about death. I was like, Lord, I'm not going to commit suicide because I fear you too much. But if you take my life, I would not complain. You know what I'm talking about? It was so painful. It was so depressing. It was so low. And what Jesus was doing, it felt like it was bad. It felt like it was evil. But what he was doing was he was pruning me so that I would remember it's never about you. It's about Jesus. And if you remember that, he knows that fruitfulness will abound. So out of love for us and for his glory, he prunes and disciplines us. So if you're going through that right now, know that he loves you. The Lord disciplines those he loves, even though in that moment it doesn't feel like love. Number three, this is so simple. We must be a people of God's word for us to obey. We must be a people of God's word for us to obey. This scripture after scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and if you're not the type to memorize scripture, especially younger people, I'm telling you, when you get older like me, it's harder to memorize stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Certain people who don't even remember when preachers come in and visit, okay? 
their house, all right? So it's, it's, not, it's not good, all right? When you get older, you start forgetting stuff, all right? But when you're younger, all right, when I'm, if I have kids and they're like three, I'm going to be like, it's time to learn Hebrew, son. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Say it with me, shalom, hala. Okay, so anyway, but it's, it's like I learned it when I was, you know, it's, it's just harder, okay? Especially when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, etc. okay? Even smart people start to forget stuff. But, but when I was a kid, one thing my parents did well was they taught us the scriptures. And if you're a parent, teach your kids scripture. And if they stray from it, they won't go far. They'll come back. But 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture, all scripture, which it's hard to believe. Because some of those genealogies are like, really, even them? I guess so. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the purpose clause, the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you say you love God, and if you say you want to be holy, and you say you want to be fruitful in your life, then get into the Word of God. Because the Word of God says get into the Word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul so that the revivals that you guys have, I've been at a couple of them now, it's not because it's a speaker, it's because we're proclaiming to you what? The word of God. And that that word with the Holy Spirit will bring revival to a soul. Not about us, not about emotion, it's about the word of God. And if you don't get the word of God uh, genuinely and daily and regularly into your heart, you cannot... Live by his power. You must be a people of the book. The central reality of the church services is Christ and the gospel proclaimed in the word. So that you feed on it. That's why your pastor struggles and wrestles with the text. Why? Because he wants to feed his people with life. Because he knows that you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. That's why the preaching of God's word is so elevated. It's not about the preacher. It's about the word. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, uh, Take me, for example. I oppose indulgences in all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer, you did not hear that, with my Philip of Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. And then this is the great line. I did nothing. The Word did it all. That's church. The Word does it all. Amen. I may have shared this story before. It's one of my favorite stories. But I remember when I was in a particularly dry time spiritually. I was in seminary. Everything was so academic. I felt like I was just losing my passion for Jesus. And I remember calling up my mom. And I said, Mom. My mom's the greatest Christian that I know. I said, Mom, what does it look like to be full of the Holy Spirit? And I was expecting this really spiritual answer. You know what I'm saying? You'll start shaking get like a gold tooth or something you know what i mean that's that's stuff i guess that happens okay so i was like you know what what does it look like to be full of the holy spirit it was amazing just how quickly she answered she said you will love the word of god because the holy spirit wrote the word of god the word of god pointed to god and and it was so profound so later that later that summer i think I, i went home and i was having like this talk with my mom in person and and we talked about this topic again and she said dave when you read the bible don't just read the bible like this don't just read the Bible like this to get information. She said, read the Bible like this, for example. How many of you guys read the Bible like this? 
But as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longeth after you, O God. Just long. That's how, that's how people who are broken, you, know, you ever remember when you're broken? Or, or when you're doubting? You need the word for life, don't you? You don't need it to teach a Bible study. You need it for life. You need it because your soul needs revival. That's how you need to read the Bible this week. Yes. For life. So we must be a people of God's word for us to obey uh, John chapter 15, verse 10. And lastly, this throughout, this, throughout this section, we must be a people of prayer. Ask, 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 ask. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. The only time the disciples come to Jesus with a written request, or a, 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 a specific request, Lord, teach us to what? To pray, to pray. In verses 9 and 10, I think it was, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, for all who seek, find. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened to you. That's an incredible promise. It says nothing about how, 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 how much you doubt. It doesn't say anything. It just says, if you ask, and you seek, and you knock with faith, guess what? It will be given to you. And, and there's a scripture in, in James where it says, you have not because you ask not. That's one of the scariest scriptures for me, that we stand before God on judgment day. We get to heaven because we're saved by grace alone, but there's no fruitfulness in our life, no one impacted by the kingdom. And you say to him, you say, well, how come, how come I didn't have the impact that, that Pastor David Larry had, right? How come I didn't have the impact that Billy Graham or Jim Elliott had? I mean, I, I tried to love you, God. And, and he looks at you and says, you never asked. How devastating would that be? But, but Lord, for real, that, why? I just told you. Is that simple, Lord? All I had to do was ask? And it would have been given? Yes. That's it. The, the, the tense in that text is, is a continuous aspect. Ask, and it has a sense of until you get an answer. So you should get on your knees. If you want this church... What's, your, what's God's vision for this church? Is God's vision for this church to stay the same size and for no one to come to Christ? I don't think so. So if God's vision is for the name Harvest to happen in this church, then why don't you get on your knees every day until it happens? Because it's going to happen if you ask until it happens. Get it? And I understand. I know. I know what you're thinking. Come on, man. I've prayed so many things that hasn't happened. We prayed for my brother to come back to Jesus. You know how long? 15 years. If we had given up 14 years, come on now. 15 years. I I heard a biography of a guy named George Mueller who prayed for his non-Christian friends for over 50 years. And then he died. George Mueller died. He never saw his friends come to Christ. Guess what happened? After he died, they came to Christ. When, When they came to heaven, you think George Mueller was regretting 50 years of prayer? No way. With tears. God, you are so gracious. When I was starting my church plant, now I'm not very charismatic spiritual. I believe in the, in the spirit uh, moving in that way, but I haven't had a lot of those experiences. But a girl who was more into those things, she called me up. She said, Dave, God woke me up at 5 a.m. in the morning. It a very specific vision for your church plant. This was years before I started my church plant. And I remember it to this day. She said, Dave, when you start your church, don't look for talented people. Don't look for gifted people. Look for prayer warriors. So I listened. I have about 300 people that I email out regularly to pray for our church. I have a team of people that 24 hours a day, seven days a week fast for my ministry. We have prayer meetings on Sundays uh, every other week. We have uh, prayer meetings every uh, Sunday morning and Saturday before the church service. 
and we still don't pray enough. But if you believe the promises of God, if you want to be a, somebody who remains in that vine and has the kind of fruitfulness that Christ desires for us, that Christ purchased at the cross, be a person of prayer. One of my favorite quotes from Hudson Taylor, that great missionary who made such an impact in China. So to this day, uh, OMF, if you've heard, heard of that mission, they say, I was begun by Hudson Taylor. This we call the China Inland Missions Group. He said this, when man works, man works. But when man prays, God works. When man works, man works. But when man prays, God works. The church, I want to encourage you. Do you want you and your church people to be the one who are the center of the work of God? Or do you want God to be the center of the work of God? That's the question. And your answer right now is, of course I want God to work. But your answer is not what you say right now. It's, do you pray? Don't tell me yes and don't pray. Because if you say yes and you don't pray, you're really saying no. I want to be the center. The people who see God at work are the people who pray. And so if you want to remain in the vine, four things, four things that we need to remember. Number one, it's not about you, amen? It's about Jesus. It's about God. Number two, you will be pruned. When you're going through that pruning process, remember the purpose of it is so that you would abound in fruit for the glory of God. Number three, be people of God's word in every way. When you, when you, the night before you come to church, I really encourage this. It's not legalism. Get some rest. Get some rest. So that when you're sitting there, even the greatest preachers, if you haven't slept at all, you're going to fall asleep. So get some rest and, and prepare your heart and try to get your heart in a good place so that, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you hear the word of God and it's hard, right? You're just not, you're, you're distracted or you've been living in sin. But have you, have you, there's other times when you can hear a preacher, not even that good. And it just, boom, explode. Why is that? Because the, the preaching moment is not just about the preacher. It's about your soil. It's about the soil of your heart. So be a people of God's word. L- let the word of God, get into a house church if you're not in one. And, and, and pray and, and, and study and, and, and apply that word in that house church. And spend time regularly through the word of God. I encourage my people to, to read through the Bible every year if possible. It only takes about 15 minutes a day. Not a lot of time. And then be a people of prayer. Be a people of prayer. If you do these four things, okay, I believe you will remain in that belovedness that is yours in Christ. Not, not, not in that belovedness, I, I should say. You, you are beloved of God, but you will remain experiencing that belovedness enjoying that belovedness. A lot of you guys are beloved of God, but you're not enjoying it right now. And and, and when you remain in that belovedness that comes through Christ, when you enjoy that, what happens is literally fruit that is supernatural, a love, a joy, a peace, a patience, a kindness, a goodness, a faithfulness, a gentleness, a self-control. That is, isn't that supernatural? Because that's not me naturally. I'm not naturally patient. When I'm in that traffic in Chicago, rush hour, somebody cuts me off. And another person cuts me off. I'm not saying they're bless you, my child. That you've given me an opportunity to exhibit the fruitfulness of patience. You know what I'm saying? I'm tempted to become and say things that pastors should not say. I'm mad. I'm angry. Fruitfulness is not. Those are the moments where if you're abiding in Christ, something's going to change. You're going to start to love people. I've seen this happen. 
You're going to have a love that you're going to look at. I was not like that before. That's what I want you guys to experience every day. You're just like, oh my gosh, that was not me. That was Jesus loving that person through me because I was remaining in the vine. Amen? Let's pray. And let's just come before Jesus. And uh, for those of you who are at the revival, uh, three sermons really on the same idea. What, what, what is your response now in prayer to the Lord? What are the things that you want to ask Him to help you to apply in your life? Uh, maybe you would say, I'm not praying. Maybe you would say, I don't have faith. Maybe you would say, I've made it about myself and not about the glory of God. Whatever it is, just ask Him right now and talk to Him about it. Talk to Him about it. Maybe you've never received Christ into your life and tonight, today's the first day that you, it all makes sense. And then, then pray a prayer now. Put your faith in Christ and then talk to myself or Pastor DL afterwards so that they can encourage you and mature you in your faith. If you're a Christian and you're struggling and you're, you're not abounding in this fruitfulness, it's, it really is simple. I know it's hard to believe. It really is simple. The Christian life is it's not easy, but it's simple. It's clear. Abide in the vine. If, as long as you remain in the vine, it, it just makes sense. Any branch staying connected to the vine as an orange tree, boom, it's going it's to abound in that fruit. If the, if the tree is healthy, it will abound. So, so if we know that Christ is that tree, then all we got to do is stay remaining, and then Christ will abound in our lives. So if that's not you, just, just ask Him, Lord, forgive me for cutting myself off in terms of your power for rejecting your grace every day. And Lord, remind me afresh, I'm just a branch and you're the tree. God is the gardener. And if I stay connected, I'm going to abound with Jesus. I'm going to abound with Jesus. Let's really spend time just praying about the things that God has convicted you of either today or this weekend. Every eye closed, every head bowed again. I'm not going to just, you know, spend a lot of time on this, but if, just in case there's somebody here this morning who realizes that they've never accepted Christ as their Savior, who, who realizes that for me to, to really experience that I'm the beloved of God because of Jesus Christ alone, uh, I need to walk by faith. I need to take a step of faith and say, yes, Lord, I admit that I am there is something fundamentally wrong with me, sin. I, I do deserve punishment and eternity in hell. But, but if it's true that if I put my faith in Christ, I will now become the beloved of God because of Christ alone and not the object of His wrath, I want that. 
not without anyone else noticing, not, not worrying about what people think of you. If, if, if that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? Just every eye closed, every head bowed. Would you just raise your hand right now? If you would say, I want to become the beloved of God because of Christ alone. If there's someone in this, amen, amen. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? If you would say again, I should, opportunity, I'm just going to have you raise your hand. If you're a Christian, you just say, I'm just not walking. I'm not believing. I'm not experiencing this belovedness that comes through Christ and this fruitfulness that you're talking about. But I want that. There's nothing, there's no strings attached. Just You're just saying, I want that. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now so I could pray for you as well? Amen. 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 Anybody else? Amen. Keep it up. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just says, I want that. I want that in my life. I need that. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. If I were you, I would, I would raise my hand. I, I think everyone should. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for first for this brother who uh, raised his hands to just say, I want to I become a child of the King. Lord, I just pray that you would pour out your spirit upon his life right now, Lord. That you would convince him that he is the beloved of God because of Christ alone. And that he is secure now in Christ because of your finished work, Lord Jesus. I pray that even today, even in this moment, he would in his heart feel the confirmation of your spirit's love, God. And that, Lord, he would grow in this church, that people would surround him to help him to grow to become a disciple of Jesus. And that fruit would abound in his life, God. I also pray for all those who raise their hands, Lord Jesus, who say, I want more of Christ. I need more of his fruit. I need more of his love. I, I, I know it in my head, but in my heart, it's just not quite there. Lord, I pray that you would begin to bridge the gap between their head and their heart. And I, I include myself in that group, Lord. I need that. Father, we need that, God. We are a people who are good at, at, at being informed about the gospel, not very good at being transformed. So God, I pray that you'd help us, Jesus, to believe, Lord, and experience and enjoy and walk in for the sake of your glory and for the sake of those in this church and our families, that they would receive that love through us, the love of God in Christ. So God, we just bless you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. We strengthen, Lord, uh, we ask that you strengthen the hearts of the people through grace. And bless this church. Bless this beautiful church. Bless Pastor DL. Bless his family. Bless this church, God. May I hear even more good reports from Orlando, God. More salvations. More hospitality. More generosity. More encouragement, Lord. More unity, God. More mission. More vision. More prayer. More love for the word of God. I pray that this church would abound in the fruitfulness that comes with a whole church being connected to the vine, God. We pray this for thy glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.